Today's episode is sponsored by Blinkist. Blinkist is a platform where you can access the key learnings and the best insights from some of the most popular nonfiction books out there. So they package up all the best need-to-know takeaways of all these books in different categories like entrepreneurship, politics, marketing and sales, personal development, health and nutrition. They got 30 or 40 different categories here. So whatever you're interested in, you can go into your category, find your curated list and make sure you're getting the best information you could possibly get your hands on. As a listener of the What You Will Learn podcast, you can get a free seven-day trial of Blinkist so you can test it out for yourself, see what you can learn from it, see how you can fit it into your daily schedule and ultimately test out Blinkist. Head to Blinkist.com slash What You Will Learn. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash What You Will Learn and you can get your free seven-day trial. Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of The Prince by Niccolo Machiavelli. I must admit, I read this maybe 18 months ago to do this for the podcast. Didn't get it. I reckon I understood one paragraph. Read it a second time recently, probably understood three paragraphs. Took a lot of effort to understand it, but I think I'm getting closer. Took me two or three reads, followed by reading a few blog posts about the book, then going back to the book to actually get to a position where you somehow understand it. Because, mate, it was written in... 1500s. Yeah, the first version was written in 1513. So, what? That's six centuries ago. Wait, <laughs> five centuries ago. Yeah, 500 years ago. It's a, lot, it's a long time ago. And I think the word Machiavelli, you know, this is a Machiavellian politician or this is a Machiavellian character gets bandied around a lot. And I don't think anybody knows what it actually means. Yeah, well, we've used it. We've said, uh, especially in yeah. Laws of Human Nature, you put up your hand a bit and I accuse you of being yeah. Machiavellian. But yeah, I don't really didn't know what it meant. I actually put a ban on it. I remember it was, I think it was the um, Malcolm Turnbull, a bigger picture, one of the last episodes of season four. And I put a ban and said, we can't use the word Machiavellian anymore because I don't know what it means until we read The Prince. Mm. And man, it was a few weeks later, he said, let's do The Prince. <laughs> yeah, it gets bandied down. All right. So if you look at different characters in different Hollywood movies, you got Dunes Targaryen, who always gets labeled Machiavellian. You got Frank Underwood in House of Cards. You got Scar off The Lion King. And it is everywhere, isn't it? Yeah. Big Richard Hatch, the first winner of Survivor, was uh, everyone was saying, 50, you know, 50 million people watched the first Survivor in no. the US. It was like one fifth of America. Wow. Massive. But they were, they were saying he was this Machiavellian character because he put on the charms, he acted like a nice person, but he knew what he had to get done in order to win. So let's look at the life of the man himself, Niccolo Machiavelli. In 1498, he was 29 years old and he was appointed the Secretary of Florence's Second Chancery and he managed the city's foreign affairs. It was an unusual choice because he was from relatively low birth. Everybody who got their positions were usually given to them because of who their parents were, who their family were, or what other connections they have. But he sort of came in as this unknown person. He didn't really have experience with politics. He didn't have any official degrees or qualifications, but the, the people in charge just saw a lot of potential in him, so they gave him a crack at it. Yeah, at the very start, Machiavelli, he really stood out from his colleagues in the Chancery. He had tireless energy. He had these really incisive reports and had a great understanding of political matters and excellent advice to ambassadors and ministers. So he had this natural knack for the psychology of humans. He met all these big dogs. He went and met Cesare Borgia, who was the son of the Pope. He met King Louis XVII in France. He met with Pope Julius II. He seemed to be off to the start of this brilliant career, but... 
all was not really as it seemed in that he was complaining to his friends about his low pay. He often said how he was doing all this hard work and doing these intense negotiations and right at the very end, somebody else higher than him swooped in and sealed the deal and took all of the credit. Yeah, and like according to Niccolo, everyone above him, right, they were just stupid and lazy and they were appointed to their position by their birth and connections and he was at the time developing the art of dealing with these men. For a bit of, I guess, political context of Florence and Italy at that time, the Medici family had been ruling Florence for generations. And then in 1494, just before Machiavelli came along, uh, the city was overthrown, the Medicis were kicked out, and Florence became a republic. So then it was uh, about two decades later when the Pope financed a big army, they took back Florence and gave it back to the Medicis. As a result of this, in 1512, they, w- they saw Machiavelli as one of the key cogs of the people who overthrew the Medicis. So once the Medicis came in, Machiavelli was out. He got sent to prison. So he was beaten up pretty bad. He was tortured. He refused to talk. And I guess when you're getting tortured, you really do see the dark side of uh, human nature really come out. But eventually, he was released from prison. And from there, he thought, all right, I'm going to retire and just go to a small farm and hang out and just focus on the things that I'm most interested in. He would sit up at night, shutting himself in his, in his room, studying the great figures of history because what he wanted to uncover was the secrets of power. How did people rise to claim power? How did they keep power? How did they fight off would-be saboteurs? And he was obsessed with the strategies involved in getting to power and keeping power. So he wrote this little pamphlet. How do you pronounce that, Jones man? De, Principi- De Principitas. Principatabas. That's it. Or, as we know today, the, the prince. prince. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, he's saying that he wanted to deep dive into these ideas, discussing the, the nature of princely rule, what form it takes, how these are acquired, how they are maintained and how they are lost. So, he wrote this book, which was, he was really a nobody at this point, but this book slowly made its way around. People were perplexed by this violent and amoral language that he was saying, all these dodgy things that everybody needed to do to get power. But the way he said was just so matter of fact. It was very dispassionate in the way that he delivered all these somewhat, you know, people see this as evil, but he was just saying, no, that's how it is. So throughout his life, he was pretty much a nobody the whole time. And, you know, imagine him in his grave now, thinking 500 years later, right? We'll be bandying his name like we are. But yeah, when he died in 1527, the book was kind of obscure and just went into the ether a bit. But then eventually, one powerful person got their hands on these essays, and that was Cromwell, the Minister of England, where the historical anecdotes that were being used made for it like a lively and entertaining read. And from there, it kind of just grew and grew and grew. Yeah, decades after his death, the, the prince slowly spread far and wide. We hear that Napoleon consulted it often. The American president, John Adams, kept it by his bedside. The Prussian king, Frederick the Great, was a big proponent of the prince as well. So we see all of these uh, very popular, powerful political figures were all tying back to some of the principles in the prince. So it had a lot of utility for people who were somewhat ambitious in their careers According to Niccolo, the greatest evil was stagnation and, and complacency and the agents of healthy change are the new people coming through who are very ambitious and this is what he refers to as the, the new princes. And not only on how to get power, it analyzes the process of how new princes, once they're at the reach and the heights of powers, how they can best maintain their position and not fall from it. So this book is, as we mentioned, the, the term Machiavellian is bandied around as the evil person who's doing whatever they can to get ahead in life and win, often through unscrupulous means. It really begs the question on a, on a meta level about this book, is it possible to 
achieve power and keep power and be nice and kind at the same time. I think we could ask ourselves, what is the cost of this just ultra, ultra niceness? Is it coming at the cost of your own effectiveness? And we first explored the idea of the dark side, which was first termed by Carl Jung, and we looked at it in The Laws of Human Nature. And what it shows us is the idea that a lot of us, we've become very nice and very pleasant when we're dealing people. And at times, and I'm speaking personally here, especially in my past, it can at times turn into a bit of a pushover. If you don't have this dark element to you that actually has meanness in the toolkit that you can pull out where required, sometimes you'll get trampled on and people are just going to walk all over you. Machiavelli says, nice people don't get far and the wicked people tend to win. And that's because the wicked people aren't held back by the principles. The the principled, the nice people, they're viewing the world as it should be. They think it should be nice and fluffy. Everybody should say what they think. Everybody should be nice and kind and friendly to each other, whereas the wicked people don't hold those assumptions. The wicked people are dealing with the world as it is, not as we think it should be. They're the ones who are willing to manipulate, deceive. They know how to charm and bedazzle people. They know how to distract people. And the wicked people are willing to do whatever it is in their power to get more power. We've grown up with the story of Jesus, we should be like him. If someone is an asshole to you, you just treat them back with nice and just be nice, nice, nice all the time. But the whole story of Jesus, this is what Machiavelli says, is one huge detail missing, which is convenient, and that's that his life was a bit of a disaster, really. It was a pain <laughs> in the ass. Machiavelli, as a, as, a, as a Christian man himself, he says that that's, a, that that's that one detail that everybody misses. Now we look back and Jesus was a legend, but at the time... He was disregarded, he was mocked, he was cast aside, and it wasn't the nice person in Jesus who was doing nice things all the time that ended up winning, it was actually the wicked people that got Jesus. So I think this book kind of explores the dark arts of the human nature and some of these weapons you might use. I think through studying it, you can see when other people and what they're up to and the tricks they're doing and you can counteract them, or at times you might even use this information in service of longer term values where you might need to be mean in the short term to get what you're after long term, which maybe the world would be better off from. So, the rest of this episode, we're going to be talking about the book, The Prince in two parts. The first part is the rise of the prince and how do you get power. We're talking about ambition, struggles, fortunes and the actions of a new leader when you get to power. Then the second part, we're going to be talking about unleashing the darkness being both a man and a beast, being ready for battle and asking a very important question, is it better to be feared or to be loved? Think of a skillful archer. An archer knows that if they're shooting at something way off in the distance, you don't aim at the target from where you're standing. You have to aim slightly above that target because you know that across the course of the arrow's journey, it's not going to reach the exact destination that you're aiming for. So, relating this to the prince and to power, on the way up, when you're trying to gain more power, you need to be ambitious and you need to aim slightly higher than you think is necessary. You've got to recognize that you may not reach the height that you're aiming for, but hopefully if you aim high enough, you're going to land at that bullseye. If you look around when it comes to people who are on the top of power, Machiavelli says that half of it comes from fortune and luck, but the other half comes from just our actions. He calls fortune like a mistress. She is like one of those wild torrents that when angry overflows the plains, sweeps the trees, uh, knocks down the houses, carries away the soil and everybody flees and yields to the fury of the mistress fortune who carries so much power. But you need to recognize that that is only half of the equation and the other half is up to you and under your control. 
So when fortune comes and really messes everything up, sweeps away the trees, all the houses, carries away all the soil, Machiavelli recommends that the prince doesn't get swept up and actually fights back against fortune in some kind of way. So when things, difficult situations arise in your organization or in the world economy or in your own life, if you just let it just sweep you away, then you're not going to be in a good position. You need to find a way to make the most out of that situation. He says that princes can be successful one day but ruin the next and that's because of the change of fortune. If there's a change of fortune and you don't change your nature or your behavior, you're just going to be a victim of this this wild mistress fortune. You need to be flexible enough to change to suit those circumstances. So all those people out there who are timid and cautious, they've got no hope against fortune. This is what he's saying. You're better to be bold in life and this is really where that saying the fortune favors the bold has its roots in. This is quoting directly from the book here. Machiavelli says that it is better to be bold than timid and cautious because fortune is a woman and a man who wants to control her must treat her roughly. That didn't, uh, didn't age well, that, that one, did it? It's 500 years old and I, I, I don't think Machiavelli would be treating women in that, in that way these days. And sometimes these difficulties that do arise aren't necessarily a bad thing. On the rise to the top, there are some people out there who just get it through, say, 80 or 90% fortune and for them, once they're there, it's very hard to maintain this because they haven't gone through the struggles and the growth that's required to fight your way to the top. I've got a colleague. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a colleague, I think. I used to or do? I don't know. I hope he's not listening but there's a few people I've come across, right? And you know, so very, very lucky to, to be there and still there though. So, I don't know. <laughs> do you want to name names or no? Now we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> well, is, if you think of if you think of this way, if you want to lose weight, uh, one way to lose weight is going to be slightly difficult in that you have to change your habits and become healthier overall. Or the other way is to just book in for liposuction, and it, it comes off pretty easily in one hit. But if you're not changing your behavior, it's very likely that you're going to lose all these gains that you've just got. So I guess how this Machiavelli probably didn't have liposuction back in his day. That's more my analogy. But what he's saying is that if he says easy come, easy go, but if it's difficult to come, it's easy to keep. So he's saying that if you were born into uh, royalty and you were handed just because your dad was the king, so you become the king, it's very easy for someone with a bigger army to come and take that, that princedom from you. Whereas if you had a bit of difficulty in gaining the power, if you had to fight a little bit, if you had to learn the ropes, if you had to develop yourself and develop your effectiveness and become good at sort of fighting and getting to the top, then it's more, much more likely that you're going to have those skills and abilities required to keep the power once you get there. I think there is tremendous upside in coming from, say, a working class family in, in the world at the moment. And, you know, I put myself hand up and say I'm very grateful for coming from a working class family for this exact reason. You do feel sorry, I think, for everybody who's just been gifted everything for their whole entire life because from the very start, they've really haven't had to fight for anything. Mm. And the only way is is down, really, and there's no way up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's that's what he's saying. If you're if you're just handed the princedom, you probably haven't had to develop the skills necessary. Whereas if you've had to fight for it, then you can get it. One important thing he says that when you get that power, when you do rise from the the low ranks to becoming in power to becoming a prince, you got to be very careful not to overdo it in the early days. You can't change too much too early. You need to be a little cautious in your approach. To, to be able to win that princedom over to your side. 
what Machiavelli says is that those people who before the new prince comes in had it the best off, right? So for them, it's an absolute cakewalk. Them, when the changes come in, they're going to go from having a cakewalk to losing stuff. And because we're loss averse as humans, they're going to get very, very angry at the new Mm. prince and try and overthrow them. Whereas when the prince comes in and then say the other people who there is tremendous upside for, they're actually only going to be lukewarm for their upside. So, Mm. if you just look at the team that you've got, there's going to be more negative angst against you rather than positivity for all the new changes you bring in. And if you think about it, if you come in and change things, so the people at the top who had it the best get screwed over, they're also the ones with the most power to rebel against you. Absolutely. And he says if you're going to have to make change and it's going to be tough decisions where it's going to hurt parts of the team. You might be punishing people. You might be firing people or anything like that. He says you're better off doing it all in one fail swoop, right? So, if you're mm. firing people, fire 100 people at once and then after mm. that, don't fire anyone. Yeah, he says it's very. It's a. It's an interesting way to do it. If you've got bad news, when you're coming into Prince, you've got to work out, I think he calls it injuries. He says, what injuries are you going to have to inflict and inflict all those injuries in one hit? So, maybe you come in as a boss, you restructure the organization and you give 30 people the flick on the first day and leave it there. That's it. No more injuries after that. That's much better than thinking, okay, let's try and fight through this. Let's try and change. Let's try and battle on. After the after a week, you got to let three people go. Two weeks later, you got to give another four people a flick. It just feels like it's bad and bad and bad. On the flip side, if you've got good news, he says, don't give all the good news in one hit because people take it for granted. He says, uh, you've got to seed those out through time. Just give them a little drip of good every mm. couple of weeks and they'll think you're a legendary leader. Mm. He uses a war analogy a lot through this book. And he says that all leaders coming in, whether it be a new boss, politician, or anything like that, need to have both good laws and good arms. And what he means by good arms is be ready to be violent and and attack people where required, be ready to fire them or anything like that, which isn't necessarily a nice thing as we are saying at the start of the episode. But if you don't have that element within you, then it's very hard to have good laws. Think about if you've got a new manager coming in and they say, hey, all right, everybody, uh, Mm. I want everyone to be timesheets and you know previously you never had to do timesheets and this person's micromanaging looking over your shoulder if they're an absolute pushover you probably half the team are probably going to just say no and just keep mm. what they're doing but if you got the feeling that manager has got good arms and in this case is ready to just pull the trigger and fire you on the spot and tell you to get fucked yeah. <laughs> you're probably going to do your timesheets aren't you exactly if you if you think that they're a pushover and they don't have the arms they don't have the ability within themselves to to act boldly and swiftly then you probably you know you might you might do an hour of, of your time sheet the first day and then you forget to do it the second day and you think you know if you get called into the boss's office you'll just make up some dodgy excuse and you'll be fine whereas if you know if they've got arms and they're willing to be vicious and they're willing to cut people's throats you're not going to take the risk <laughs> okay so i think we've uh, falling on the analogy of a manager coming in so the manager comes in <laughs> it's important to have good laws and good arms as we were saying and there are some people who are more dangerous than others for a new leader. And the first type of person is all the jealous people who are out there. Let's say, for example, you're being promoted to top dog within the organization and you've just got that rung just below you, right? So they could have been promoted to your position, mm. but you were the lucky one who was. So there are different types of people. There are those who are not too ambitious. They're happy exactly where they are. According to Machiavelli, they're all right. You don't have to worry about them. Then there's another type of person. They're ambitious, but they're also timid. And he says that you can use these people because you can play with their ambitions, but they're never going to attack and approach and try and undermine you. 
But the third type of person are those who are ambitious and bold. And these are the two characters of the prince we were saying about earlier. Those people who are like that, they're going to be the most dangerous because they're going to overthrow you at the first opportunity. And these are the people you need to get rid of as soon as you can and as soon as you arrive in power. In addition to getting rid of those jealous people, you also need to get rid of the flatterers. If you've got people who are fluffing you up all the time and telling you all the things you want to hear, you've got to be very careful of those people. They, they could be the, the new prince who wants to rise and overthrow you or you're not really going to get the true feedback that you need. Instead, what you need to do is have a very small group of core trusted people who you allow to give you completely unfiltered advice. You want them to be completely upfront and completely honest and tell you everything you're doing right and everything you're doing wrong. You shouldn't give that power to too many people though. You don't want everybody below you to feel as though they can critique you and pick out your flaws and think of all the things you're doing wrong. That right is reserved for the very, very tight core echelon of people that you trust. Everybody else should just fall into line. Yeah, you can imagine if you've got a Machiavellian manager, right, and they're ready to defy you at a moment's notice, it'd be very tempting to just not pass on any bad news right to that mm. person because you're worried about your own safety. But it's important for this kind of prince is to also have those arms, but only be displeased when it's clear that they're hiding something from you. So, in summary, on the way up, you need to be ambitious. You need to aim slightly above your intended target because you know that you may not ever reach the level that you want to, but you need to aim high enough so that you can reach the level that you need to get to. You need to know that on the way up that fortune favors the bold. You can't be timid. You can't be cautious. You need to go out there and intentionally get what you want. And of course, the more difficulties there are on the way up, the better it is for you because that means there's going to be difficulties for anybody else who tries to overthrow you later. Once you're in power, the first thing you need to do is get rid of all the people who are just like you on the way up, <laughs> right? Those who are bold and ambitious, they're the ones who are most likely to overthrow you. So, just, just cut their heads off and let them roll. <laughs> There's a delicate balance about how much change you should bring in. So, you need to make these heads roll, but you need to also do it in one hit at the very start. Don't just do it day by day by day. A prince should have no care or thought but for war. Between an armed and an unarmed man, no proportion holds, according to Machiavelli. This is, it, this is where we're getting into the, the dark, we're going the dark. darkness. We're going dark now. <laughs> And it's true, if you think you've got two people, one person's armed and ready to be vicious and the other person's just kind, pleasant and unarmed, there's no proportion that holds in between the two. The armed person's going to win every time. Yeah, that chapter, he says, never lose the taste for battle. You need to be always will ready and willing to fight. He also says that the prince needs to learn to be things other than good. If you think about all of the different traits you could have, should you be generous or greedy? Should you be faithless or true to your word? Should, be, should you be cruel or tender-hearted? Simple or crafty? Firm or facile? Devout or unbelieving? Effeminate and cowardly or high-spirited and courageous? You might think that you should be all of those good things on the left-hand side and none of the bad things on the, on the right-hand side, but he says it's not at all possible in human nature to be all of the good and none of the bad. The only consideration you need to take is you need to show all of the good things so that you don't piece people off, but under the surface, you need to be willing to use some of those bad things. Yeah, it's those people out there who have this perfect standard of goodness in everything. The reality of the world is they're going to be ruined by all the people who are, are not good. So, if you're just perfect the whole time, you're just going to get blown away. 
and you need to have these weapons in your back pocket ready to go when you need it. This is coming back to your one of your favorite uh, characters of popular culture, Richard Hatch from Survivor Season 1. He, <laughs> he, uh, even during the show, he actually called out Machiavelli and he, talked, and he talked about the prince and that he understood what was needed from him. He understood that it was a game that nobody else was playing, that he needed to be greedy, he needed to be manipulative, he needed to be sneaky, he needed to do all of these things under the surface, but he needed to act as though he was nice, he was generous, he was friendly, he was fun, he was playing games with people, he was the the, the big friendly gay guy who was just who was friends with everybody, but really he knew that he needed to use these tools to his advantage. Yeah, Survivor is a bit of a little experiment where the you know, the Machiavellian style clearly is the thing that wins. Another one, a talented manipulator in popular culture is Eric Cartman versus <laughs> his mum. He also uses all these kinds of emotional blackmail and deceitful information <laughs> to get his mother and even his enemies and even, you know, butters to, to do stuff <laughs> that he doesn't want. And he's always successfully outwitting everybody, his friends, his mother and all kinds of opponents by just putting on different kinds of emotions. But deep underneath, he's being very manipulative to get what he wants. Yeah, he's, he's, he's cautious of how other people are going to view him. You know, the Kyle and Stan, who are the more moral types, he knows, how to, he knows how he has to appear to them. And then he also knows what tools he needs to use to get to the ends that he wants to achieve. Which brings us to the next piece of advice from Niccolò Machiavelli for the prince. He says he needs to be both a man and a beast. Mm. So, in terms of the two ways of you should be acting, the first way is in accordance to the laws and that's just being your right by virtue and everything like that and this is what he refers to the the man. But the second way, it's by force and this is where you need to be much more of a beast. Sometimes you do need to unleash beast mode. If you're just a, a virtuous human all of the time, you're going to be overthrown by the lions and the foxes and the wolves. So you need to be willing to, to activate beast mode, become a bit of a lion or a fox yourself. So he does distinguish beast mode into, into those two categories. You've got lion and you've got fox. So the lion is really the one that's ready to just tear someone head off uh, who's in front of you and just when you need to go to town, they just go to town on somebody. <laughs> and if you think about a lion as well, because everybody else knows what a lion is capable of, often it doesn't actually have to fight. If you just know that there's a lion roaming around, you're probably not going to pick a battle with that lion. That's right. But then if you've got a lion who isn't fox, that means there can be sneaky, manipulative people doing things behind the scenes who's going to overthrow the lion. So as a beast, you also need to be the fox style and that is the sneaky, manipulative, deceptive where you need to be. So these are the two elements of the animal we, we kind of need. Yeah, what the fox lacks in strength, it makes up in its cunning, it can spot the traps, it can uncover those deceptions. So it's a perfect combination. If you've got the ability to be crafty and shrewd and wily like the fox, but you're also tough and strong and ready to rip an antelope in half like the lion, that's a perfect mix. And most of the time you be a man, but every, every, every now and then, whack on beast mode. Yeah, you need both elements. For you, Asho, you put your hand up and I'm a Machiavellian character. What no, do you I reckon? think you labelled me as that. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I, that think that's, no, I think that's you fox mode coming yeah. in and trying to... <laughs> I was going to say, I think... I th- what, are your, what do you got, you reckon? I don't think of, I've got much line. I don't know if I've ever unleashed the lion. Mate, I reckon you got a bit of fox. Yeah. That's, when you go to Machiavelli... That's a bit of fox. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm mostly fox. I don't know if I've ever unleashed lion mode. Do you I think when you should I should get a, Well, should you experiment with a bit of lion mode? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't think of a specific scenario, but I'm, I'll be willing to unleash lion. 
Mm. I think I'd be very scared to unleash the lion. <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. know. <laughs> it's sort of an all or nothing thing. Yeah, you got to be ready to go full lion mm. if you're gonna. You can't go half lion. I, I, th- I feel like. Tell me if I'm wrong, and I've just built up a yeah. persona. It's not <laughs> well, there's, correct. Or there's not. definitely that. I, I think I know where you're going, and there's definitely that. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I'm a little bit of lion. No, you unleashed a good lion. Lion, yeah. minimal fox. So yeah, recently I did both. Actually, I you know after reading this book, uh, time will tell if it was, <laughs> it was the wrong way to go. But I did unleash lion and fox in a situation, and uh, I think it's going to, in terms of effectiveness, it I wasn't nice, but the outcome was more effective. Mm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. It's a, it's probably a bit too close to the the source at the moment, but you didn't you unleashed a lion, you're ready to fight. So now people know, hang on, there's a there's a bit of a lion creeping around. Most of the time it's a man, but every now and then the lion can come out. Which just, is a good it, it's it is, a good or thing. Just to have. seeing that in the back pocket, yeah, mm. people will act differently. Who knows, six months old <laughs> might be fired or something. Might, <laughs> might be unemployed and broke, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> and, and that leads on to the next bit. So, we need to be both man and beast. And the next question is, is it better to be loved or feared? It's a very vitally important question for, for any prince. In an ideal world, you'd, you'd be both, right? You'd be feared. People are worried about what you might do to them and also loved at the same time, right? So, you love the person for who they are. But in reality, in the real world, sometimes you need to choose between one or the other. I think there's in the world of people pleasing, everybody wants to be liked, everybody wants to be loved. Uh, we've been mentioning the manager a lot because I think that the world, the corporate world, and the managers is is a bit more relatable to today than than the kingdoms and the princes of the 1500s. But if you're coming in as a new manager, you want people to like you. You don't want to be coming in as a big scary boss that nobody likes. But the problem is that. Human nature, we're thankless, we're fickle, we're false, we're keen to avoid danger and we're greedy of gain. And I think those last two are the most important. We want to avoid danger and hurting ourselves, but Mm. we really want gain. Mm. So, in terms of fear or love, if it's love, you're going to be much more fickle when opportunity arises for your own personal advantage. But if it's actually fear from the manager, no matter what happens and circumstances come, you're going to be scared of what the manager is going to do to you. So, according to Machiavelli, out of these two, when you have to choose, fear is much more effective mm. from the manager. Yeah, fear is is a is a strong driver of human behavior. If you, as you say, if you 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 love the person, you're going to do most of the time. You're going to do the things in their benefit. But whenever it comes down to if you if it's a choice between you or them, you're going to pick you every single time. But if you know that. You're acting out of fear. You know that if you just go all for you and none for them, there could be repercussions that swing back around and and you get done in the end. You're much less likely Mm. to go against the leader. Mate, this final point, we're we're doing a bit of a reversal of what we've done for the full episode. There's a lot of darkness we've gone into where you need to be manipulative and be a bit of an animal in certain circumstances. But one of the most important things, according to Machiavelli, is that no matter what you do, you need to avoid hatred at all mm, costs. That's it. If you've got the decision between love or fear, you want both, but ultimately you want fear. But the thing you never, ever, ever want is hatred. If you're hated, you, it's basically game over. All of a sudden, there might be some conspirators who are just lurking around and they've got some courage. If everybody hates the prince and the manager, all the people around, they'll be very easy to just get that conspiracy to gain legs and to overthrow mm. the leader. So, to avoid conspiracies against your overthrow, you need to avoid hatred. 
He says you need to be willing to be criticized for your lack of virtue if that's the, the path you took to becoming a leader, but you can never be hated for your lack of virtue. You should never be robbing your subjects of their honor. A prince can become despised if, they're rep- if you've got a reputation for being fickle, frivolous, effeminate, cowardly, irresolute. You can't be hated. You can whack out the beast when needed. You can be feared when needed, but you should never ever descend to the point of being despised or hated. Now, in closing this episode, I think there's going to be a lot of people who didn't like what they heard and, you know, maybe fair enough. We would probably prefer a world that is a lot more nice than what Machiavelli is preaching. But at the same time, if you want to be effective, it is very, very important to actually understand a bit more how human nature is in reality. That's it. This book is all about not acting as the world should be or as how you wish it could be, but getting a true understanding of how the world actually is and understanding what types of tools and techniques you need in order to get ahead in the world that we live in. Hey everyone, if you're liking that episode and our episodes and you want to hear what we really thought about it out of 10, if you sign up to our email list at the end of every month, we'll give you a short summary about what we reviewed, what's coming in the next month and also what we thought of the book out of 10. Me and Asho, we sometimes agree and sometimes disagree. Head to whatyoullearn.com slash email.